the Plumbing Marketing Profits Podcast. Interviews with million-dollar-plus plumbing and HVAC business owners on how they market and grow their companies in today's economy. Hear directly from the most successful leaders in your business and discover what they are doing to keep their phone ringing, trucks running, and businesses booming. With your host, Josh Nelson. Well, hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me uh, on this episode of the Plumbing and HVAC Marketing Profits Podcast. I'm really excited today to be here with Al Levy. Uh, he is a, a world-class expert in this space, uh, plumbing and HVAC uh, marketing, as well as really business development and, and management. Um, I've been following his articles on Plumbing and Mechanical Magazine uh, for, for quite some time and came in communication with him over the last couple of months uh, through Ellen Rohr and got, a, got my hands on a copy of his book, The Seven Power Contractor, which is the new book he just put out, which in my opinion is mandatory reading. If you own a plumbing or HVAC business, you have to read this book. It will open your eyes to new ways of looking at your business and really understanding why you're not having the success that you, you might want and desire. So you know, let me welcome Al to the call. Welcome, Al. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, now I feel the pressure to live up to that really good intro. <laughs> thank you, Josh. <laughs> no, but I, you know, again, I, I, have been watching you for some time, and I really, you know, was was honored when uh, when the opportunity came up. And I think this will be great value for for the listeners. So let's just dive right in, Al. If you don't mind, let's go all the way back to the starting point. I know you're you're a world class expert at this point, and you do a lot of training and development. Just tell us kind of how you got started in this space and when you were actually working in the in the business uh, all those years ago. Yeah, well, uh, I was uh, born into it, so hopefully a lot of your listeners will relate to this. Is, uh, growing up in a family contracting business, hmm. you sit around the dinner table and you're listening to sports and you're watching, you know, what's going on with your favorite teams. And the next question is, hey, what about this job? And then you're back to the sports team and you go, oh, you know what happened yesterday when I was at work? <laughs> and that's the dyslexic, mixed-up conversation that goes around. So I was born into it. Mm. Uh, there is uh, sewerage and fuel oil pumping in my veins. I firmly believe that. <laughs> From the time I was spoon-fed, <laughs> someone said, uh, you know, you're born with a silver spoon, except yours has oil and sewerage on it. Nice. Yeah, that's pretty good. I'd say, I'd say that's pretty much it. So, Yeah, we were a family-owned uh, business. Still is, by the way. Uh, I'm uh, the youngest of the brothers, and believe it or not, my older brothers are still there. Okay. Our, our company was started in 1936 out of my grandfather's gas station. My dad and then my uncle Morty joined him, and uh, they created a fuel oil heating business. And for those who don't know what fuel oil is, because it is primarily in the Northeast, think propane. Uh, they del we delivered it, serviced it, and so that was really the essence of the beginning of the company. Okay. And then my brothers and I showed up and uh, took the company in a new direction, which was adding plumbing, gas heating, air conditioning. And today I'm happy to report uh, my uh, fourth generation is there. My nephew, uh, Michael, is in the business, and uh, my brother Richie's son-in-law, uh, also Phil, has joined the business. So wow. we're well on to the fourth generation and doing good. They added electrical and home automation. And uh, there's a trick to that, but so today I want to stay focused on what we do because one of the things is we really did master about how to do that, how to take on other trades and not make them hobbies, but make them what it is we do. So the growth is still there. And, that, and that's a that's a recurring topic I hear from plumbing and HVAC contractors that have started in plumbing and tried to get into HVAC, 
stubbed their toe, weren't really able to get it off the ground. So I'm sure a lot of these guys will, would love to, you know, drill deeper with you on that in the future. Good. All right. So, so you had this family company in Long Island. Um, I think you, you mentioned you grew it to about 70 employees while you were still there. Yes, I was still there till uh, 2001, September okay. 2001. Uh, I was still there. Uh, and uh, we had uh, 70 employees, 25 plus trucks running every day. And I had uh, gave my family three years notice that I'd be uh, leaving my company, which is always part of my seminar as a joke, uh, Josh. I, I turned to the <laughs> audience and go, so your employees give you, what, two weeks? Yeah, right. Maybe a week. Uh, maybe a day. I said, sometimes they just leave the keys on the dashboard and you have to, you know, figure it out from there. So I had three years because uh, I was in, already well in the process of systematizing the business, which just means in plain English, the business could run day to day without me having to rush in, uh, you know, like a rescue or guru fireman, which is what I speak to, mm. uh, and always be bailing out the business. And that really is some really good companies. You know, if you pull away the owner, it's really just a uh, the whole thing falls apart. I don't know the best way to describe it. You know, uh, uh, like those games of Jingo where you pull the one thing and the whole thing comes tumbling down. Yeah. So I was found and determined. And to my cr to credit of my two older brothers and my dad, they allowed me to, you know, really focus on creating operations manual staffing. And of which we're on a call here today. Marketing is a system. And if you don't get your head wrapped around that, you're going to get sabotage. And even what you were talking about, getting into these other trades, if you don't know how to market and pull these other customers in, you're setting yourself up to fail. So that's kind of the essence of it. So you gave your three years notice, spent a bunch of time systematizing the business, really making sure it could operate without you, and 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 moved on. Yes, and I brought some great people in, uh, but I, that was what was really critical. You can have great people, but if you don't have great systems to allow them, they're always having to be in the rescue mode. And so uh, I found great people because I was not going to strand my brothers and, uh, and my dad at that point. And so uh, I left knowing that I could go off. And I also, frankly, was a little selfish. I wanted to be able to go off because I firmly believe that what I had empowered myself. And my tagline is uh, run your contracting business with less stress and more success. Nice. And there's a reason that tagline resonates is because Josh's contractors, every day we wake up, we're putting out the fire we thought we had out yesterday. And so if you can run your business with less stress and more success, I'm all in. I was making a, a ton of money, by the way. Um, and it was killing me. So I was going to be a really rich, dead guy. And that was not my goal. Right. Really not my goal. And so the business, obviously, you said this fourth generation has entered. It's still flourishing. It's still, it's still growing. So to your credit, that three years notice certainly helped. And um, just browsing on your, your, your website, the Appleseed uh, website, uh, you know, preparing for this, I see uh, tremendous feedback from contractors you've worked with to help implement this whole seven power contractor concept in their business, um, saying tremendous things about how it's, it's helped them be more efficient, more profitable, more effective, and like you said, less stressed out with more success in their business. Yeah, that, that I, I, you know, I appreciate it. And I recognize that, you know, as I said for myself, I was a driver of the change. But without great people at my own company, it doesn't matter how great the systems are if people aren't, don't buy in. So the trick is to get people to buy in. Uh, and that is what I teach to the contractors that I'm lucky enough to work with, that they have to, you know, embrace these systems rather than 
swallow hard and accept it. And then they have to go out. And that's a great line that one of my contractors told me uh, after working with him for a couple of years. He said to me, uh, I get it. I get it. I said, well, what do you get? He goes, I have to be on fire for them to be lukewarm. <laughs> after uh-huh. I stopped laughing, I said, I said, that's really good. So if you want to talk about marketing, if you're not passionate about marketing, the chances of you having great marketing at your company is somewhere between zero and nil. You yeah. know what I mean? You've got to be on fire. Whatever that takes, you've got to find that as your mission. And each of those seven concepts, which is planning, operations, staffing, sales, marketing, uh, sales coaching, and financial, you've got to get yourself fired up or you've got to surround yourself with good people that can get you fired up and stay fired up. I love that. That's that's powerful. Yeah, because you can't expect just to kind of oh whatever I run this company. Hopefully everything goes well. You know if you're if you're taking a half-hearted approach to the business, there's no way your team's going to be passionate about it either. That's correct. And a half, you know, I, I get the just to put our toe into the marketing water. And so people tell me, oh, direct mail doesn't work. And I said, well, what did you do? Oh, I made this really great piece and I mailed it once. I said, well, you violated the direct mail marketing. They go, what do you mean? I said, well, first of all, think about it. When you're at home, where are you when you're opening your mail? And the answer is always the same, Josh. You're in the kitchen. I said, okay, what's underneath you? I said, a trash can. I said, so if I mail a great piece once, what's the chances you're going to stop, let alone open it up and read it? I said, well, that's why I love direct mail postcards. Mailed at least three times over six weeks avoiding certain times of years, but you have to have a great construction to your card. It's got to be a great headline. Or what I call a ruiner, R-U-I-N-E-R, which just means I put you in an area of pain, and then I'm able to take it away or address it. Yeah. Uh, do you ever call late at night and nobody answers the phone? I uh, bet you do. Here's how, And then I'd have somebody give a testimonial, because whatever I say in marketing or sales, for that matter, is you're looking at me, well, that's because you said so. So somebody other than me has to testify. And that's why when you go to my website, you'll see on the Success Gallery, it's not me talking to you. It's clients, contractors who are just like you talking to you about what success they've had. And so guys who send uh, any kind of direct mail, and this goes across the board for so much marketing. Uh, if you don't have a great headline, which goes back to the days when they actually had newspapers, Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to read on. Well, today, blogs are the same. If you don't have a great headline in your blog, the chances of anybody reading on is pretty minimal. Would you agree, Josh? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Those, yeah those so, two. got to have it. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, without a great headline, there's no reason to read on. And then it's about, you know, some plain English copy wrapped up into a testimonial. And then where most of us fall apart in our marketing and sale of the rest of it is there's no call to action. Mm-hmm. So now you've fired me up, but you didn't tell me what you want me to do. What's the one thing you want me to do? Yeah, absolutely. You know, give them, give them a clear, a clear call to action. And I think if you, if you handle direct mail with that, like what he just said with that, that approach where you have multiple touches over a relatively consolidated period of time with, with that type of messaging, it, it can be a lot more, effective. So I guess if we just, yeah. if we just look at, at marketing as a whole, and you know, we'll look at this from your, your past business and the contractors that you work with, because marketing is a big part of what you do. You know, I always feel like 
marketing really boils down to three key areas. The the market and the who, who you're going after, um, you know, that target market that you're going to be laser focused on trying to attract. And you talk about this a lot in the book. The the message, which is what are you saying to that market? And in order to differentiate yourself and make yourself stand out and be a little different than everyone else that's trying to sell them plumbing, HVAC and home service related services. And then the media. So the media being the direct mail or the yellow pages or the Internet marketing or the pay-per-click advertising. And when you've got those three things really well fleshed out, you can have tremendous success and really drive almost as many leads as you want. So when you look at the target market for, for your company and or some of your, your top clients, what do you find are the characteristics of the idea target market for, for these types of home, home services? Okay, I'm going to give you the classic consultant answer here, which is <laughs> it depends. Yep. <laughs> I'm sorry for that. I, I had to trot that one out only because uh, if I work with, uh, you know, my company was in residential, commercial, and industrial. Mm -hmm. So we serve three segments. And that takes a hell of a lot of training, yeah. to say the least, to be able to serve three markets. If you're just a residential contractor, it makes it a little easier. Yep. If you're a commercial contractor, it makes it a little easier. But more and more people who are commercial want to get residential, and more residential want to get commercial. And they look, this is where what you have here depicted in this triangle uh, is really comes down to you've got to have, and they're separate. You can't throw them together. Yep. Uh, the classic, uh, you know, when I was, uh, my marketing guru, Leo, told me years back, was say something to someone or you risk saying nothing to everybody. And so this one size message fits all does not, not work. And so you may have more than one who. Uh, that's where I would say that looking under the cover a little bit, you've you got to kind of make the differentiation. So uh, if, in my case, you know, my, going back to when I was the contractor, my market, again, had residential, commercial, industrial, and I always ran separate pieces and separate contacts and separate methods to get to those three markets. Uh, but I also knew is, for me, I will cut to the chase. What I preach to my contractors is the only way you can make real money and be able to charge what you need to be in business and make a profit, which is the reason to be in business, is you have to be working to, for the end user. In other words, that just means somebody who cares that you'll be back, show up, be clean, drug tested, all of those kinds of things. So commercial, if uh, one of the places I work with is up in Boston, if the health club goes down, and nobody can use uh, the, you know, the, the showers or uh, the, the places, the sweat box. <laughs> They'll be screaming, but they're going to be paying. Mm. You follow what I'm saying, Josh? Yeah, because that's who I want to work for. But if I have to work for the middleman, uh, general contractors and such, and I'm not saying that they're not bad guys, but the only way they make any money is to keep your prices down so they can fit in as a middleman. Mm -hmm. Same thing goes for management companies and such. Yep. So we have to be very clear on the who. And the same thing goes up, just using residential is a, a pretty clear thing, is if, if you're interested in clean, neat, uh, drug-tested, criminal background, and somebody's going to come back if and when there's a problem, and people who have been trained at the company, not at your house while they're, you're paying them, <laughs> I'm your guy. That was how we went to market. Okay. So that's kind of the message that, you, what, that you put out. So if we look at residential as the example – and kind of, you know, obviously commercial and industrial is a completely different ballgame. 
what were some of the, the, the demographics and psychographics of the, the residential customer you were going after in your market? Well, back then it was, uh, you know, 30 to 50 uh, was uh, the sweet spot for us. Okay. Uh, because way back when, uh, you know, when Home Depot was first starting, it was, uh, you can do it, we can help. Well, have you noticed they changed their uh, tagline? Because people have kind of gotten to the point where they don't want to do it anymore. Right. They'd rather pay you. Sure. Uh, we're working harder, working longer. I mean, nobody gets to go home these days where their iPhone is blowing up or emails and texts and everything else of that nature. So uh, that's what I think is really important to people is can you – and the other thing is can you serve them on your, on their schedule, mm-hmm. not yours. Yep. So a lot of times people blame their marketing because they generate calls. Well, they don't generate calls when you would like it to happen. Right. They have a problem now at 10 o'clock at night. Are you set up to be able to serve them? on their schedule. Right. So that's really kind of what we were so good at. The great Frank Blau, who was Ellen's mentor, mm-hmm. told me one time, and of course, like most good custom, you know, client, contractor, uh, sharing of information, we were at a Nextar seminar years back. And of course, we were in a bar late at night. And so I all, turned all the good learning and, happens, right? Said, all the good learning happens. And uh, said to Frank, I said, how do you handle after hours? And he goes, Al, after hours accounts for 40% of my profitability. Think about that for a minute. And I always preach to my contractors is that, you know, I'd love to tell you you have to be great after 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Reality is you just have to be good because what do they get around most towns in areas that, you know, they get a, a what, a recording or an answering machine or push, push them through a telephone tree. But if you have a live CSR who has your scripts in the manuals that I write and has been trained so that we're really living by seven to seven is normal service. No after hour charges and such. Saturday, just kind of like your car. Think about how cars have changed these days, getting your car service. It used to be in the old days, it was eight to three and you better show up because you're not going to get in your car after three o'clock and they're not open on weekends. Well, that has sailed. That has sailed. And the same thing has to sail in our industry. No doubt. So, so, do you have any suggestions on how to staff up or how to handle that those after hours and weekend calls that start to become such a burden for for these owners? Yeah, I think uh, first of all, most if you leave it to the taxi, they want to come in from seven a.m. to four p.m. because most of us are early risers, the evening uh-huh. five. There's a logistical bottleneck that happens anyway. So if you have five, ten, fifteen, twenty guys. And they all come in at the same time. They have to see you. They have to see the service manager, install manager. How do you handle that many people in your face? The answer is you can't. And people would like to get served a little earlier so they can go off to work. So what we've set up were shifts, 7 to 4, 8 to 5. And the next shift we put in was 10 to 7. Because if you watch how well you convert calls, after 3 o'clock, techs have already figured out they've had enough. And so they're just going to skip and shortcut the, the end of the day calls. But if you have a guy who's on from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m., he's mm-hmm. already out there. He might as well go make some money. Yeah. So that's one of my tips and tricks about how to do it. Now, how to build staff is a whole other subject because it comes out of planning power, operating power, staffing power. They all kind of lead to the, each other. Yep. But I didn't want to run too far afield here. But the, the, the point about it is if you look like, smell like, act like your competition, you're not worth any more money. So what are you going to be different about? And that was what we set apart. We, we got dressed, we cleaned our uniforms up, cleaned our truck, got a great truck design. 
we decided to train our guys at our shop rather than you paying them when I come to your house and I, they have to learn on the job, which is <laughs> when you ask most guys, how do you train your guys? They all laugh and they go uh, on the job training. Have you heard that uh, expression, Josh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so what you're really doing is punishing your customers. <laughs> so if you are bringing that out, then that's where those headlines and ruiners are the, are the guys who come to your house learning on your time or on theirs. Right. So there's this is this is where the message gets really cool. Yeah. Start to create a little bit of pain around that that headache. Yes. Yes. And, uh, and I don't you know, I, I don't want to make this sound draconian or bad, but the reality is, how can you watch TV and not see these drug commercials? You didn't. I didn't even know I had such a thing as restless leg syndrome <laughs> until, until they put it on TV and all these other kinds of things. It's amazing any of us can get out of bed in the morning. But, you know, they have to make put you in the area of awareness whether we can't you won't know about the pill. So that's kind of what we do. We have to agitate and remove agitate. Remove. That's kind of what the, the aspect of our, our things are. But, you, you know, it really it starts, uh, if we could spend a second here, is I did it 100 years ago, and what I did is I just put a line down the page about what my competition did really well and what do I need to do to be different. Okay. Because if you can't do it on paper, and if you are, you know, a computer person, do it on your iPad, do whatever it else is, but... Yeah, what is unique about you? And the USP, which you're, you're talking about here, is if you can't tell me in the space of an elevator ride, which is why they call it an elevator speech, you can't mm -hmm. tell me. Right. So looking at you, you know, dressed up in your green shirt, uh, Plumber SEO, I look over you in the elevator and I go, huh, so what's Plumber SEO about and why should I use you? And in the space of the elevator ride, when the door opens, I know who you are and why I need to get in touch with you. Yep. Absolutely. So, what was what was your elevator speech for for your previous company? So, my elevator speech is uh, if it's important to have clean drug test people that have manuals, no matter who comes, they'll all be trained. They've been trained at our own training center, not out. We're the right company. Wow. We serve you on your schedule, and if there's a problem, we're coming back to make it right. Nice. Yep. I did oh. speed that up because it, it was more to it, but. That's the problem was, you know, some of us just keep throwing, you know, I, I ask guys to write uh, one of the exercises I do with my clients is um, 10 great reasons to use you. It's actually a sales and marketing, which this conversation is going to evolve to is if you're not good at sales, it's going to sabotage your marketing. If you're not good at marketing, it's going to sabotage your sales. Mm -hmm. They are two, they're uh, one coin and you're on both sides. Because my feeling is if I can't sell to you, Josh, my ideal customer, then there's no way I can sell to 10, 100, 1,000, a million of you. So I've really got to know what makes Josh tick, what's important to Josh, what does he care about. And sometimes he doesn't even know what he cares about. So some of that's my own running calls, being out there, talking to enough Josh-type people <clears throat> that I can make a targeted, direct message. And that is that unique selling proposition. So you saw that one came off my tongue pretty well, and I haven't done it in quite a while. <laughs> it came, it came <laughs> it, off. It was real, ingrained on my chest. Real crisp. I think the, the, the listeners will have to play back in slow motion a couple of times in order to really get it. But that was probably the, the best honed uh, USP that I've heard uh, in quite some time. So that, that's pretty awesome. That's probably one, one of the reasons the company was so successful. And is, Well, I'll tell you that it, it's great for an owner to know it. 
but if you had tested my guys back then one by one, they would know it too. Wow. Because I worked really hard in making sure that they were clear. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is yes, you know, they, they, they've got to be able to exude that. Uh, they have to be able to, uh, you know, repeat what that message is. But it also, when they felt it, they got their head up higher and their chest out. And confidence is really a very attractive thing in sales and marketing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that, that's pretty powerful, right, guys? So get clear on your on your target market, you know, and, and it's typically homeowners. It's people 30 to 50, like you said. It's going to be different on a, on a market by market basis. Get clear on what's important to them. What are their pain points? What are they looking for when they need your services? And they come up with a really strong USP like the one he just shared that talks to those pain points. And they're like, yeah, I do want someone that's going to answer live, that's going to show up on time, that's going to be background tested. And really, he hits all of those hot buttons really effectively in, in, in the USB he just shared with us. Yeah, and I think uh, it, it, I serve from coast to coast and now Canada. And uh, you, you'd love to think, oh, no, it's different in my area. Josh, people are people. Yeah. Uh, those are important. If you're off at work and I'm coming to your house, would you like to know the guy I sent to your your house, your wife and your kids, his criminal background, drug tested, because I'm betting you would. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do, do they put on the the, uh, the shoe covers? Do they cover the floor? Do they clean up after themselves, or are you going to have to clean up after them? Yeah. That's going to bother you. So I know all of the pain points. Nice. And it's different with different age brackets, but my customer was, it was funny, uh, can I share a quick story? Please. Yeah, so I was in the heating business alone years ago because that's where my dad and my uncle had started it. Uh, and it was crazy, crazy busy unless it wasn't. And sometimes, you know, you'd have a great winter and sometimes you didn't. And that would be a cash flow issue, which is what drove us to get into the plumbing, gas, heating, air conditioning business way back then. Hmm. And uh, so my friends who had already jumped from heating only to these other things that said, Al, you think you've heard screaming when people have no heat? Wait till you hear what they sound like when they have no air conditioning. Hmm. He said, but here's the good news. The louder the scream, the more they're willing to pay. That is true. Mm -hmm. Because the more uncomfortable they are and the more important it is, uh, the more that they're willing to you know, get it done. It's not about shopping around and price shopping. Now, everybody wants good value. And so what comes as a price objection, uh, more times than not, is because you didn't do enough of a good job of building value. Yep. And besides you coming back circling here for marketing, which is so critical, is that if you just rely on the power of your words and not using client testimonials, and yeah. the best client testimonials that I teach to my clients is the same thing I practice, which is their full name, what town they're in, and a picture of them. And if you take the picture, 50 to 75% of the photo is them, not the equipment, not the stuff. How many of you have you seen, Josh, you know, in all of their campaigns, it's all about the equipment like uh, the regular person cares about the equipment? Yeah, they, they, don't, they, don't they don't care about that hydrogenic system or that they, they want to see the owner in their face and the, the reality of the situation. Yes, that's exactly what they want. They want these people with a smile on their face saying, oh, you know, I called late at night. I didn't think I would get anybody with an answering machine. Sure enough, Al showed up, made it my life great. We never used anybody else. Some of the best testimonials is, a little bit more than we want to spend, but we would never use anybody else. So it's amazing what what they can do. One of my funniest testimonials, one of my clients was, 
they do uh, an underground thing where you don't have to uh, break up the whole uh, front yard to change the sewer line. They call the reline. Mm-hmm. And he got his two customers. Here's here's the power of good communications and what customers will do. They were so happy that this guy saved their tree that was in the family for a hundred years. He got them to hold hands around the tree. Can you see this visual in your head? Yep. Now, how easy is it to sell reline off the power of that? Yeah. So whatever it is that you're marketing, whatever it is you're marketing, uh, the way to drive it home, in my opinion, is to get client testimonials, preferably with a picture, and get permission to use their, you know, their name and that, not street address, just the name and down, because that way they feel like it's local. It's it's a weird kind of thing because depending on how big your service area is, Josh, that affects it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in in, uh, in our area, we went from the 59th Street Bridge, which is uh, Brooklyn, all the way out to Suffolk County, which is out towards the Hampton. Wow. They called it Long Island because it's 115 miles tip to tip. That's long. So if I have a – it's long. And New York City traffic, too, so add a little more to that. But if I run a, um, a testimonial from somebody in Brooklyn for somebody who's all the way out 115 miles away – it doesn't have the same power. Uh, and so I, I share, you, you can't get enough good customer testimonials. Customer testimonials for your marketing go under the three flavors. One is <clears throat> how great a product or service that you did that made your life better. Yep. Two is how good how good is uh, the company you are. You're faster, neater, cleaner, smarter, whatever. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get the home run, which is a great product and service and great people, great whatever, so great about your company. But just start filling that hopper up. And this goes through the systematic, if I can, I, you know, I wanted to kind of dive into what I refer to as systematized marketing, a system. Yeah, so I want to dive further into that, but I think you know the, the power of social proof is what he's talking about, reviews, testimonials, infusing that into your yes. message. So have have, yes. a, have a great USP, that speaks to the hot buttons, but when you're advertising that USP, use social proof, use your customers' testimonials and online reviews to make that believable. Because anybody can say they're gonna show up on time, they're gonna provide great quality, their guys are gonna be background checked. But when you have your customers say it, it becomes believable, right? Oh yeah, you, you so got that right. So got that right, Josh. Thanks for restating it because that's it. And today, you know customer testimonials, well, let's say they should be on your website. Mm-hmm. They should be in your uh, sales materials. But what Josh is speaking to is uh, they've already done They've already done their checking you out online yeah. way before they ever picked up a phone and called you. Yep. And so um, they're looking to see how many reviews are out there. It's funny, well, I travel again all over the place. So it used to be in the old days I would ask if I was coming down to Florida to visit Josh, but where's a good place to eat? I don't even ask anymore. Right. I know where I'm going. I'm going straight to Yelp. Exactly. Like, what is Yelp? Yelp is exactly what we just talked about. Is I look to see if there's a lot of testimonials, recognizing that some people will never be happy and some people are effusive and might even be the owner's kid that's writing some of these testimonials. So I look for a number of them, mm-hmm. and I look at the number of and their enthusiasm to share and how well the ranking comes out. So, well, that's what today is in all these different avenues without the, you know, saying there's different, different ways to get that. But how well are you, are you coming out on top with great reviews is going to affect whatever marketing you're going to do. Absolutely, absolutely. And then take those those reviews and infuse them into the into the website, into the direct mail, into the ads that you're running. Because uh, when you've got the 
the message right and you've got the the market clearly defined, then you can go to town with with the media and all of the different you know sexy tools there are to get your message out. So let's talk a little mm-hmm. bit about the 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 media mix that you're finding most effective for your clients and for I guess for your previous company as well. Yeah, so you know the it's funny to say, but ten years ago is a thousand years ago in market. Yeah. So yellow pages ten years ago was still a viable source of plowing a lot of money into. Yep. The reality too, it also was, depending on where you were, because you ran double truck ads, it was either a way to get really rich or go broke really quick. Right. Because if there were fifteen companies in your area and they had to be where you were positioned in the double truck ads would affect it. Yeah. So there's there's kind of that I think Direct mail to me, oversized postcards, things done well in the formula that I described briefly as we were doing, is a really good way where there's nothing to open. If you're looking to go to new customers, you're not marketing to your own people. Uh, really good direct mail has worked effectively if you follow the rules of direct mail. So uh, customers have, that are using that have found good success. As can far you, as the Valpac, can um, you use that, that acronym for us again one more time? Because I thought it was really, really interesting. And now that we're talking about media and direct mail being a media that you've been able to prove out as effective, you, you had a great acronym for what the elements were for your direct mail to work well. Yeah, the which goes to all marketing, but in particular in direct mail, um, oversized postcards because the bigger postcard wins. Otherwise, it gets lost in the pile of mail. Mm-hmm. Second thing is uh, a really good headline, or what I call a ruiner, R-U-I-N-E-R, yep. something that stops me in my tracks and get me to read. So if I was, I'll just take a thing with Josh. Josh, if I could teach you how to make twice as much money in half as much time, would you like to know? Yes. Yeah, so Josh has got to read on, right? Yeah. So great headlines, great ruiners. And one of the best is questions, short questions are always really good because they typically demand an answer. And so there's pressure building for you as a reader to read on. Uh, Then I said a little bit of plain English copy, followed by a picture and testimonial, and at the end, a really great call to action. So the the downside is jamming your postcard up with too much copy. People look, we're all lazy these days, including yours truly. We're not going to read a lot. So think of your direct mail postcard as a really good-looking truck and a really good-looking logo. If you fill it up with a thousand things, my eye doesn't know where to go, so I just quit. I won't, I won't even look at it. That's a, a giant mistake in of which marketing is really good-looking trucks. It really a great color, great design gets my attention. And I know what your name is. I know what you do. I'll find you. That's kind of the essence of what I would say. The other thing is the mail, direct mail, is I have to have three touches over six weeks to know whether it did or didn't work, which is why I recommend don't send out 35,000 cards, 50,000 cards to find out it didn't work three times that 150,000 pieces. Do a direct mail marketing where you have a thousand pieces. You can have plant oh, AB marketing with just the fancy way with two different headlines yep. and find out which one gets traction. That's how you really make direct mail work. Mm-hmm. But testimonial is a big glue in that. Yep. Okay, so we were about to talk about Valpac a little bit, I think, after I, I kind of interrupted yes, you and lost yeah. the flow. No, no, no. I appreciate that because you have a better sense of it. Uh, Valpac, you know, I, I've had pluses and minuses. 
it depends on, you have to have a really attractive, low cost, in my opinion, this is my opinion, low cost thing that will make you do it because you're buried in something that is by nature value. So if there's something that you want to use as a breadcrumb to lead in, that's a, a good avenue. Otherwise, it might be something that you don't want to invest in. And my, my thing here about is, uh, mar my marketing thing is in writing, which is marketing uh, plan, which is a marketing budget, percentage of sales. Marketing allocation means the majority of your money, not all of your marketing money, but the majority of your marketing money can only go to three vehicles. So you've got a pretty good list here. And of course the list, I mean, there's only about a million ways to go to market these days. Right. But three of those have to get enough money and enough heft to get any traction. And we'll yeah. talk a little bit more. So. That's my that's my quick answer on Valpac. Yellow Pages, I touched with. I, I, we were never strong in Yellow Pages for the following reason: is I had a lot of I had 2,000 competitors on the, in where I was, so hmm. it was hard to get to the front. Second of all, it wasn't a good place for me to ex, to really go in depth about what was different about us, because that's really more just give me the facts kind of thing. So Yellow Pages, was we needed to be there years ago, but we didn't need to be dominant. Okay. This was a place to kind of find us. But as soon as the Internet took off, we were pretty much really plowing money out of that. And because also the Yellow Pages gets us calls when we're already busy, which isn't what I like alone. Now, there are certain big medias you have to do that get you calls when they come. And then if you can have what I call turn it on, turn it off marketing, mm -hmm. like direct mail. Yeah. But they've got to be up. So the third part of it's marketing budget, marketing allocation. And the place that most contractors fall down is marketing calendar, which is just a proactive calendar every year, typically in Outlook uh, or Google Calendar, where you are putting in. So I want you to have three touches by, let's say, September 1st. Josh, i got to have three reminders in there backed up so that the cards are ready. They've got all the testimonies, they're in good shape, and these mailings are going out. Or otherwise, September 1st comes, and everybody in the office goes, hey, phone to dead. Hey, Josh, did you ever get those cards up? You yeah. know, the ones we needed to get out? And it just falls off the cliff. Right. Marketing calendar of the three things, marketing budget, percentage of sales, marketing allocation, three main ways to go to market, marketing calendar. Marketing calendar is where most guys mess up. Yeah. They're not proactively marketing throughout the year. Yep. Okay. So I, I kind of covered yellow pages. Um, can radio, I, TV. Can I come back yeah, to something ahead, real quick? Yeah, I, absolutely. You cover yeah, it really know. nicely in the book. I don't know if you're comfortable covering it on this, but it's a question that comes up all the time, which is how much of my revenue should I be reinvesting back into into marketing? Um, I don't know if you can address uh, excellent. that. I can. I can, and I would love to. Great. I'm, I'm trying to be respectful of time. So the marketing budget, uh, and again, guys, just take this as a rule of thumb, but it's a rule of thumb that I, I knew from my uh, 26 years of work and now 15 years doing this with contractors all over the place. 4% of annual sales, let's put some easy math there. If I have a million dollar company mm -hmm. and I say, well, you know what, I'm going to put 4% of my budget towards uh, marketing. That means I'm only putting 40000 a year into marketing. Now, that that is all that. 4% would get you in general is customers leave you, they quit for one reason or another, uh, people move away. There's all these different reasons that would cause you to just want to replace the amount of calls that you've lost. So that's the low bar, if you will. Just to kind of keep the status quo. 
Yes, yes, just to keep where you are. So we were in a lucky position. We had more calls than we could usually do in the day. We didn't have to necessarily be proactive. And mm -hmm. we had a lot of network marketing and a whole bunch of other things going on. But if you really want to grow your company aggressively, 4% is not likely to do it. Yeah. So when do you start hitting the threshold of being more aggressive? It's typically 10%. So again, math, a million dollar sales, a guy would have to spend 100000 in marketing. There's another piece that goes to this, which is what counts. So if I, if I tell Josh at his company that he has to put, uh, buy bigger trucks that act like rolling billboards, have a great truck design, and spend 4000 in decals that are going to be on his trucks for the next three to five years, because they roll around in the service area you want to be, uh, is that marketing or a truck expense? And the answer, again, is it depends. Because whatever you say from here on out, that's what you've got to count as part of your marketing budget. So this four, this 4% 4 can go pretty quick if you're not really focused mm -hmm. and if you're not really clear about what is and isn't marketing. How about uniforms? If I, if I change the uniform, put the guys in great stuff, and they're walking billboards. Does that count? And the answer is it, it does if you make it count. But not enough fuel in the tank. Don't expect to drive your company very far. You've got to put uh, money into marketing. Now, how you spend it, that's marketing budget. How you spend it is the allocation we're talking about, the three main drivers, and then whatever else you want to do, and marketing calendar. Does nice. that uh, kind of cover what you wanted, or did you? No, want to yeah, that, that was that, that. that was beautiful because it's a question that comes up a lot, and I think kind of you, you summed it up nicely. You know, somewhere between four and ten percent. You know, four being this is going to keep you ahead of the attrition in your business. Ten percent if you really want to aggressively move the needle forward, and probably most contractors somewhere somewhere in the middle, right? Somewhere between six and eight percent. Yeah, some of the bigger, faster growers that I've worked with in uh, Nextar and other places, uh, they get up to 15 and 20. Wow. Uh, and, it, and it only matters as long as you know, uh, that's why Ellen is so important, is financial power. If it's in your marketing budget, uh, and you're depending on your growth desires, and of course, in my case, the reason that they're in touch with me is, how can you also make the, you know, the, run the calls? How do you build staff? So that you can, just getting the phone call, getting the marketing funnel filled is a great thing, but you've actually got to go out and, and uh, you know, turn the calls to make the money. Yep, absolutely. And so that I think that mm -hmm. that's pretty that's pretty nice the way you systematize this down. And it's a complex concept, but really it comes down to figure out your budget allocation, right? Set up a calendar yeah. that way throughout the year you're clear this is what we're gonna do January, February, March, April, May, kind of make sure you know what the milestones are and what has to get done. And really out of the thousands or let's just call it out of the twenty plus really strategic marketing initiatives you could put in place boil it down to your top three kind of is what you're suggesting yes the majority of your money has to go to fund those three to find out if they really are making a difference nice and so what would you say in, in you know in your experience and you know this might be hard to answer it's gonna be one of those it depends what would you say are the top three to five that tend to be most effective in today's economy uh, I think the that my three favorite drivers and then I'll come back to this question, which my favorite three drivers today is SEO, SEM, search engine optimization, search engine marketing, okay. uh, but done right. Yeah. Uh, and that's something I know that touches into your area because I learned years ago, which is, um, you know, pay-per-clicks is a, it's just kind of like the yellow pages, which is, can make you really rich or really broke mm -hmm. if you're not clear on how many clicks. Are. So 
here's a good example. Uh, Josh has a company in Florida, and I'm in Arizona. And I go, I think it's a good company. Josh's plumbing company is not coming out to Arizona to run a call today. So being able to repel the wrong people is part of that pay-per-click program. Yep. So it's, a, it's attraction and, re, and they're repelling. So there's some keys to that. Mm-hmm. But a really good SEO, SEM, kind of what we tied to the rest, is always one of my favorites. I'm a very strong believer in acquisition of companies. And the reason I believe in acquisition is because if my dad and my uncle, our area went on to urban renewal, which just means they came in and plowed it out. And if my dad and my uncle hadn't gone out and bought companies, there would not have been a business by the time my brothers and I showed up. Now, acquisition has to be done right, too, which is the price to pay, and you have to learn how to, sometimes it's as simple as uh, Josh is an owner-operator, I buy his company, I pay him when the calls convert, so there's no money out of pocket. Or you're buying a real company, cents on a dollar, and there's a lot, lot to it. But here's what's beautiful about acquisition is, uh, any marketing you do is hope that somebody would call. Acquisition is acquiring customers who are trained to call. So that's that's why Ellen and I talk about that so frequently. So that's another good one. And I am a fan of direct mail postcards that I was just talking about. Okay. Tied together with great headlines, uh, plain copy, testimonial, good call to action. Those are some typical things. Now, if you are looking to go upstream and you're willing to put some real money on the table, a really good radio campaign, a really good TV campaign, but here's what you have to know. If you're not willing to be in it a minimum of six months, you're really wasting your money because you'll pull the plug on this campaign just before it starts to reap any results. Mm-hmm. So for those who are, guys who work with me who have done that, I found that it really doesn't start to kick in until about then, sometimes eight months to a year before they really know how effective. One of the things you want to be looking for is what we call three frequency, which means in the market they either see you three times or hear you three times. So that, again, that's why it's funding the three drivers, whichever three drivers you come down on. Now, it, too, has to have a great headline. That's shocking. Yep. It does have to have a really great, uh, you know, testimony and callback. So you can see how this is ad nauseum is starting to repeat on itself, right? Because there's some basic good marketing. just matters how you're going out to it. So those are pretty quick. Now, TV also, by the way, I would caution you today. is First of all, the great news is there's a ton of stations you can do versus the old days. Mm-hmm. The bad news is there's a ton of stations for them to find you. That's why people pay up so much to be on uh, you know, sports and also on uh, news shows on TV because they're live. People aren't using DVRs and going past it. If you do select to be on a TV show that can be DVR'd, <clears throat> your ad has to have a banner. So even when they fast forward, they still see your name. Okay. That's a, that's a good idea. That's a good uh, tip. If you are going to do it, make sure you get a banner on the so the DVR. At least they're seeing they're seeing your brand at some level. That's correct. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Excellent, excellent. So you consider acquisition to be a marketing expense? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. It's all about getting called. At the end, for those who've worked with me for a long period of time, you know, when we first start, there's 125 things to do. At the end, there's really two things to do which is either make more text, which means, you know, get them good at sales, operation, technical, mm-hmm. and make calls, which in my case, what I preach for marketing is it's the right amount of calls at the right time from the right customer. So yeah. the three rights of marketing. Nice. Three rights of marketing is what you want to obey. So kind of also interesting in the in the whole marketing mix thing, you just shared what you think your top three are. 
Um, it's also good to know what's not effective and what doesn't work. Are there any marketing initiatives that you might have thought were effective 5, 10, 15 years ago that you're finding just aren't as effective today? Uh, yellow pages front and center. <clears throat> uh, you know, the myth, here, let me share the myth to this. <clears throat> People go, oh, you know, 50 and older, they're, they're used to using the yellow pages. Well, my wife and I are older than 50, <laughs> and we never use the yellow pages. Right. We go to Google. Yeah. All, all roads go through Google, so we can search, we can blow up the size of the copy, and we can do what we need to do. So I asked my wife, is it do me a favor, ask your friends. And the answer all came back, none of them use the yellow pages other than to keep their door open because it's a block, a book in front of their way. So that's that would be one of the vehicles that I don't think work. Okay. Now, I don't know. You know, look, the, uh, billboards, we used, uh, we did a thing called, can we have a second to, to talk about burst marketing? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So when we changed our name years ago, we had had, uh, there's a long story to this, but it's actually in the book, Josh, that you read. Mm -hmm. But when we consolidated all our companies for acquisition into one name, that was the time we did burst marketing. And burst marketing is, is basically we spent a ton of money over a short period of time so that no matter where you went, the train station, on the buses, a billboard, a radio commercial, even to the point where you opened up your refrigerator, there was a milk carton and we were on it. So we surrounded you. But it was only designed to be a burst to get your into your head so that we could do this because we wanted to get our name out and the rest of the kinds of things. Years and years ago, Purdue Chicken did a, a, an enormous amount of advertising. They really do next to nothing anymore. I remember I, had, I, had, so I had a conversation about this the other day. It seemed like what happened to Purdue because they were everywhere. Exactly. So that's burst marketing. So if you think of it like a, a, a chart, there's this huge burst up and then you back off mm -hmm. versus drip marketing, which is a little, a little, a little, a little, a little. So if somebody was going to contact you, Josh, and said, you know what, we really want to get some real estate. We've got to ramp up fast. Uh, we want to put some X amount of dollars in and really move the needle quickly. You would might hold them off and go, well, you know, we put a lot of money to waste Let's find out what it is and work. And, and when it is, then we can really put a lot of money to work. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what I wanted to talk about is burst. So in what in what burst, scenario in what in what scenario does the burst marketing make sense to activate as opposed to the drip? Yeah, uh, burst marketing. Would, so let's say uh, you're going into a new area. Or you want mm -hmm. to expand into a new area. That's the place where you kind of go and you don't have a hub or you're opening up a smoke shop. Yep, that'd be a great scenario. Or you're taking on a new trade. So we're in plumbing and now we're going in HVAC. So that's a great time to hit a first. Got it. Because people see you as a plumber. They don't see you as a plumbing, heating, cooling company. Mm -hmm. So those are some just quick ways where burst marketing uh, kind of comes in. Awesome. I, mean, I think there's some tremendous insights here on, on you know ideas to be more effective with your marketing, how to allocate your marketing dollars. The book you know has a couple of really great chapters just on this topic. But if you don't mind, just kind of give us the, the big picture. Tell us about Appleseed Business and kind of what, what you're all about. Uh, well, again, when I, when I uh, was at work uh, years ago at my own company, we did some great things. You know, we, we cleaned ourselves up, <laughs> got in good uniforms, uh, got ourselves dressed professionally, um, started to look at the company from a 360 view about how to start planning for things. We put manuals together uh, that told everybody, not just the techs, everybody, wherever you are in the company. It took me uh, one year to write the outline, just the outline. Wow. 
wow. for what it took to operate the company. From AR, AP, uh, accounts receivable, accounts payable, every aspect of it. Trying to cover 80%, never 100% of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of planning, which was just, you know, what is the five most important projects we need to be working at any given time to make real progress? So planning and operations and staffing was we create a training center, training curriculum, leverage the manuals so that we could do three things, find holes in people, fix them, mm-hmm. uh, find new hired people who told you they could do everything and find out what they could and couldn't do faster and fix the holes. But ultimately, the great growth, the great freedom came from building people who were willing with no skills into people who were great with skills. So those are some of the things, and that's what my clients are talking about. So when I went off, you know, at a point I realized I had done what I needed to do, and I got so good at my own job, Josh, that I replaced myself. It's awesome. <laughs> at my own company, which is a nice nice thing to do. And, Absolutely. Uh, and I was free to go out, and I, cause I just said that this would work for other people. I, I just knew it because, again, it was, there were days where it was just so stressful. I, I don't know any other way to say it which is why that tagline was less stress, more success. Because most of us as contractors don't feel that day to day. Now, some of us are lucky enough to be making money, but it just takes so much. One of the clients I first worked with, a great, great company, uh, he said to me, he said, do you know what I'm like, Al? I said, no. He goes, I'm like a, you know, a swan on a pond. You look, see me gliding, but underneath my feet are furiously going. Yep. He says, and I want to be able to stop that. So this is what systems can do for you. And marketing, like we've been talking about here today, is a system. It's just one of the seven systems you need. Beautiful. And so that's what you're doing in Appleseed, helping other contractors apply what you learned um, and, and really systematize their business in that same way. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, this goes back to when I first started uh, January 2002, which is I write for Applying Mechanical since then. Mm-hmm. And I've also, you know, did a lot of speaking. I did a lot of seminars, webinars. I do webinars with Ellen Moore, mm-hmm. financial expert, and we've done a lot of things together. And um, and then I started to work one to one with clients that could only handle so many because it was always designed to be me in this business, teaching side by side, small companies, big companies, coast to coast, now Canada. And then uh, I've reached a point where I I want to help more people. There were people that I couldn't reach as well because I can't work with everybody except in a format of webinars and seminars. But I knew first and foremost, if I could boil down my stuff, and the book is one-twentieth at most of all the things that I have. Hmm. And if it wasn't for the great editor, Helena, that helped me, I would have overloaded it. Hmm. it, It's really hard to write a short, tight book like you read, Josh. I hope it comes across that way. No, yeah, you took it. Because I wanted it. You took a tremendous amount of information and consolidated it into something you could read in a, you know, in an evening. Yeah, and I and that was really my goal. We as contractors are crazy, and so if I wrote a, a 500-page book, what good was that? Yeah. My goal was 150 pages or less that you could read it and you could put the stuff into action right away and make your 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 life better, but your company life better, and frankly, your customers because. My goal is a three-way win here, which is your customers win, your company wins, so you and all your employees can win. Mm-hmm. That's the great long-term connection. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So I, I mean, I think I think the book is is invaluable. Like he said, he he took all of this experience and expertise, consolidated it. Um, it is something you can literally read in an afternoon and say, okay, yes, these are insights. You can go back, hit the ground running, and implement. Um, you can get a copy of the book by going to uh, best place is appleseedbusiness.com slash 7PC. Is that right, Al? That's the best place to get. Uh, it's available for uh, handheld devices there as well as the paperback for those who are like me. And, yes, the paperback can actually uh, – you can carry it around without uh, breaking your arm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a good, tight read. And so, again, that's appleseedbusiness.com in case you're listening – appleseedbusiness.com slash 7PC. So that's seven power contractor. Um, and I think there's some yeah. bonuses they get when they when they get the book there instead of... Yes. What yes, and that's, that's a good... Yeah, what they do, you can also get it on Amazon. But what's great about going here is that there's bonus material. Uh, I wanted to share with guys, you know, things like organizational charts, and trying to fill up the book, and it really wouldn't be useful and just would have slowed you down. So when you get finished with the read, there's a simple link to do, and you can get this material and get the bonus material and get it downloaded to your to your own files. Awesome, awesome. Any any other insights or you know last nuggets of wisdom you want to share with that plumbing or HVAC contractor that is trying to get to the next level and you know just just struggling potentially? I think, you know, related to the marketing aspect of it is if you're already good working with people one-to-one -one and you know how they tick, then you just got to get down to some paper and follow the, the really good thing that you had about the, the marketing you know, of the who, the what, that, and then you get to the how. So it's almost like you have it as a triangle. I would almost have it as a funnel. Hmm. Top of the funnel is until you know, uh, you know, the who, don't bother looking for the rest of it. You got to know what makes them tick. What's important to them? Th these are the things to make your marketing great. Mm -hmm. And then you can reach out to people like Josh, who can really drive your marketing with you. But you, and what I was sharing with Josh prior to this call, in your organizational chart, marketing manager is a role that you, as the owner, will always have. Always. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you have to do the marketing. I don't even recommend that. It just means that you have to be able to communicate with somebody who's doing the marketing for you about what you want and when you want it, who is it, because nobody can take that without your help. Yep. You can't abdicate the marketing, right? As the owner of the company, you cannot. That's that's on you. You got to make those decisions, and then of course, like he said, tap on the experts to help implement. But uh, it's still your. It's got to be your baby to run with. That's correct. That is financial, uh, being in charge of, of uh, making sure we charge enough and the, there's more money than, uh, in the bank and, uh, and loans. That, those are the two roles on my org chart, which is one of the things I have in the, as one of the bonuses, is uh, a basic organizational chart, nice and flat to run your company. Nice. But you're going to be in those two boxes, and rightfully so. Absolutely. Well, Al, thank you so much for, for coming on today's episode. I think there's some tremendous insights, and the the, uh, the listeners will get great value from it. Um, guys, get his book. This will really change the way that you, you think about and operate your business at a minimum. You can get that at appleseedbusiness.com slash 7PC. Um, any other way for them to contact you, Al, if they want to reach out and learn more? Should they just go to the website? Yeah. 
Yeah, the website is the best. If, if you want to, uh, one thing I, I, when I first left January 2002 is I realized, you know, there's times as a contract, it's very lonely. And you just beat your head against the wall sometimes. And so I uh, made a pledge that, because so many great people came into my life, Josh. It's not for people like Ellen and like Dan Howell. Like, like, the list is long. <laughs> I would still be in the basement turning wrenches till 2 a.m. And so I, I offer a free 30-minute phone call, no obligation. Fill out that thing. It's on the bottom right-hand side of my, uh, on my, on my website on the home page, and uh, I will be happy to set up a phone call and we'll talk about your business. Awesome. That that's an offer, um, almost an invaluable offer. You get 30 minutes of Al's time um, for free. You can't beat that. So go to his website, get a copy of the book, schedule a one-on-one with him for for 30 minutes. Um, Al, again, this this has been tremendous. I really appreciate you taking the time. If you'd like to subscribe to the podcast, we do interviews like this with highly successful plumbing, HVAC business owners and influencers on a consistent basis. Um, You can register and subscribe for free at plumbingmarketing.net. And thank you so much for joining us on another uh, information packed episode. And we'll see you again next time.